0: Hey, church, so glad that you're carving out some time uh, to gather together uh, around God's Word. And so I want to invite you to come with me to Luke uh, chapter number 18. And I want to talk to you for just the next few moments uh, around this idea, Uh, mercy uh, is on the move. And so let's read the gospel of Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35 together. And the Bible says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near to him, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him, glorifying God and all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. Let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your spirit that is with us, the spirit that inspires the scriptures is the same spirit that collides with us and gives us inspiration as we uh, read your scripture. And So God, I just pray, Lord, that you would tune our ears to hear that grace, that you would open our hearts to receive from you your word to us, encouragement where we need it. Confidence where we're lacking, challenge where we might have become apathetic. And God, we thank you for all of these things and we ask them in the strong, strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. For us as a church this year, we've been kind of centering and and gathering on this word found in Psalm chapter 23, verse six that goodness and mercy would follow us all of the days of our life, that we would be chased down by goodness and mercy. At every turn, goodness and mercy. I love what Pastor Deshaun shared with us last week, that that sometimes goodness and mercy following us all the days of our life may not look and feel like we think it's supposed to or it's going to, let me encourage you once again. You might be in a season or a time, in a time and a place man, where things are not feeling like, man, this is the goodness of God, or this is the mercy of God. But can I just encourage you with the fact that just because your external realities don't seem to be congruent with the promise of God, trust this, friends. He's working all things together for good, for those that believe, for those that are called according to his purpose. When you and I can't see it, when you and I can't comprehend it, he is working on our behalf. The goodness of God is undefeated. The mercy of God is unquestioned and it pursues us. And so today with that in mind, I'd love to think through this passage of scripture with the idea of goodness and mercy. Sometimes not only is it chasing us, but sometimes there's even an invitation for us to pursue it. You see in the text that we have here, there is this tension at play. Any musician will tell you that kind of a recipe and a secret to to good music, whether it's classical, whether it's jazz, whether it's modern pop or Hip hop, R and B, like music, is a space and a place where there's just some tension provided. Maybe the tension is found in the lyrics. Maybe the tension is profound, found in the instrumentation. But a sense of tension isn't a bad thing. You see, many of us in our life, we want everything to be void of tension. We want it to be void of awkward uncertainty. And I just want to encourage you that there are some things, lots of things in life that that are not to be simply resolved and kind of put away as an end, but there are some sort of tensions that we have to manage. And there's tension in, in this passage. Jesus, right before the text that we read for the sixth time in Luke's gospel, is foreshadowing and he's foretelling his disciples. Uh, that the death of 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 the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of David, that it is imminent. He is telling them, "Hey, here's what's going on." And and what Luke sort of shows us and paints for us so well is there's this tension between the reality of what Jesus is talking about and the inability of the disciples to understand, to distinguish, and to decipher what he is meaning. And so when we look at these. Passages, And here's what I would encourage you to do over the maybe next few days. Why don't you spend some time in Luke chapter 18? Because when you look at Luke chapter 18, you see the way that, that it's constructed and the way in which it's laid out is for us telling us something about all of the contents within chapter 18, the way in which it's constructed, the stories that lead into the other. And so here in 18, it, it starts with a parable of the persistent Widow, reminding us of the way in which we are to pray, that we are to not give up hope, and we are to keep coming to God with passion, with fervor, with, with a sense, with, with an audacity. And then we look in the, the passage of Scripture that goes right into the Pharisee and the tax collector, again, juxtaposing the religious leader and, and the person in society that was was considered a villain and you have this religious leader and you have the villain and here in in the parable as jesus is telling them there is this unfolding of of an example of how we are to pray and what is mind-blowing to the hearers at that time was in jesus's parable it was not the religious leader that was the hero the hero in the passage was what society thought was the villain. Jesus says that the tax collector is the one who is crying for mercy and his prayer is heard. And on the heels of that passage, Jesus says to the disciples, don't prohibit the kids from coming. Don't, Don't keep the children away. He says the kingdom of God is like this. So he's talked about prayer through the lens of the persistent widow, he's talked about it once again, showing us that prayer not only should have passion and persistence, but that prayer should also have a humility. Jesus reminding once again that those that are the outcasts, those that are on the the downside of culture, you know this, that, that children were not considered in the first century like they are now. Man, we all have pictures, we're showing, we construct our schedules around our kids, we celebrate them. Like so much of our lives is sort of esteeming our children, setting them up for success. That that was not at all what it was like in the first century. So Jesus' words, when he uses the widow as the example of how to pray, and now is talking about children and how they are to sort of give free reign sort of to him, he's he's teaching us something once again. And then finally, there's a story about the rich young ruler. There's a tension in this whole scenario because the reality is many of us would see now just as they would have seen then, someone with affluence, someone with a massive amount of wealth, that they're going to have a view and a perception on life that is different. But but also, let's just be honest, many of us see and esteem those that would be in, in those positions as somehow they've got an insight to some things that we don't. And they, they know how to do this better than I do. They've got a better read on what on what life is all about. And the scriptures remind us through this story that you may have earthly riches, but you may not have any heavenly sense. You may have a sense of understanding sort of how to accumulate and obtain possessions, but that doesn't mean you understand what the kingdom of God is like. The rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18 had it all, but lost everything because he was unwilling to follow Jesus's command to sell the things that were possessing him. You see, there's the challenge for us. Many of us would love to read that passage and we would love to just in a broad stroke just say, you can't have things or, or you, you can't be wealthy and follow Jesus. And, and the reality of what Jesus is saying to that man in his passage, in, in, his, in his moment is the same thing he would say to us. And whatever is possessing you, get rid of it. Whatever is keeping your attention and whatever has your devotion, if that thing is not Jesus, get rid of it because ultimately he will keep you from following Jesus. And so all of that is the backdrop to where this tension is sort of set up where he tells about his death that is, that is imminent, that it's coming. And yet you have these disciples that are here and they can't see and they don't understand it. Bartimaeus in this text symbolizes for us those who are able to discern who Jesus is in stark contrast to those who are in closest proximity to Jesus and they didn't know who he was. Here Bartimaeus is a blind man who can see and the disciples walking with Jesus, living with Jesus, doing ministry with Jesus had a difficult time having the same vision that Bartimaeus did. And so today, as we think and we consider the words in this passage and in this text, I want to offer you three questions. I want you to ask yourself three questions I want you to wrestle with, and I want you to respond to them. Maybe you respond now as you're journaling. Maybe you respond over the next couple of days, but I want you to respond to them. The first question is simply this. Why is it? Why is it that the disciples couldn't see, but the blind man could. Why was Bartimaeus able to see some things that the disciples couldn't? And here's what I would say to you. Simply put, don't confuse sight with vision. You see, many times in places in our life, we might be able to have sight, but we may not have vision. We may not be able to see what is truly going on. And the reminder for us, as well as the challenge, is sometimes the closer you get to Jesus, it may be more difficult for you to have the same vision that you once did. Many of us, we could identify with the disciples. But what I want to bring you back to is the place where you could identify with Bartimaeus, where you could identify with a person who was in need, a person who was in In a tough spot, a a person who didn't have vision for their life, a person that wasn't on the come up. You remember what it was like when you were in that place? You see, our ability to be supple in our soul will allow us to continue to move towards Jesus, but still have an understanding of what it was like and what it is like to be Bartimaeus because the challenge in, in this text is you see the disciples in the way in which they respond to Bartimaeus is they tell him to shut up. He's crying out for mercy and they tell him to shut up. This is the very thing that Jesus instructed them and taught them about as it pertained to the kids. The kids were coming and the disciples are like, hey, get him away, get him away, get them away. Get them away. And now you have the same sort of scenario. The disciples aren't getting it. How do we have vision is when we are able to begin to see and discern the activity of God in our midst. It may not happen at first, but friends, can I just say this to you? Here's the key to life. Here's the key to our spirituality. As God reveals something to us, live in that truth from that point forward. Yes, the disciples got it wrong in that instance in chapter eight, verse 15. But here, when it comes to Bartimaeus, this could have been an opportunity and should have been an opportunity. And we've got to let this guy get to Jesus. Second question I want you to ask yourself, I want you to consider and think about, is can you hear the cries for mercy around you? Can you hear the cries of mercy Around you, You see, that cry for mercy is one that always gets the attention of heaven. That's what the tax collector and the Pharisee parable is all about. What gets heaven to bend its ear towards our prayer is a heart, not like the Pharisee, but a heart like the publican. A heart like the tax collector where we recognize our deficiencies in our soul and we cry for mercy rather than posturing as if we don't have problems, posturing as if we've got it all figured out. Jesus says it's the cry for mercy that gets the ear of heaven and then the hand of God and the heart of God to respond. So can you hear the cries Of Mercy, where where are the places of need that bump into your life? Can you hear them? Or have you gotten so dialed in or have you gotten so in tune with your own world that you found the ability to block the things out around you? Every parent has learned this trick. We have this ability to distinguish the cries of our kids versus the cries of others. So I'll be in a restaurant and I'll hear a kid crying and it's almost as if it can drift to the back of my hearing. It it kind of drifts past me. Why? Because my ears are tuned in to my kids. This is who I'm responsible for. I got to keep these kids alive. I got to keep these kids healthy. This is where I'm focused. I'm right here. We have the ability to to tune out. I just wonder if we've allowed that sort of thing creep into the way in which we live our lives? Should we be tuned out to the needs and the cries around us? If you've been on a plane ever before and there's been a crying baby, there is a different sound of a baby crying on a plane. There's nowhere to go and it seems as if it's amplified. And the reality is this, is that baby can't help it. It's a baby, babies cry. That mom or dad, they can't help it. They would love for their child not to be screaming as well. And yet, if you watch planes, you'll see people get so frustrated, so angry in those moments. And so we've actually developed sort of a, a cure for that, noise cancellation headphones. You put them on and you flip a switch or you put them on and they, they kind of dial right in. and it, it, it cancels out the noise in your world by providing a subsidiary noise. It's not as if the, the earphones are, are quiet. It's that they're making another type of sort of noise and sound that keeps you from hearing the, the other thing. I think for us what happens in our souls is very, very similar. I think we're, we're getting accustomed to sort of tuning out the need, tuning out the brokenness, tuning out the depravity. And, and, and all we've done is we've, we've covered our ears to hear only the songs that we want to hear rather than hearing the cries of people around us. When we ask ourselves this question, can you hear the cries of mercy around you? There's some follow up questions that should challenge us. Do we respond to the cries of mercy around us like Jesus? Or do we respond like the disciples? The disciples are like, hey, shut up. Jesus is coming, keep it down. They rebuke him. There's a sense where where it almost just feels feels so aggressive. Blind man crying out for Jesus. And the disruption in that moment frustrates and angers the disciples and they rebuke him. They, they, They tell him to be quiet, get out of the way. And he cries all the more louder. And when the things in your life are silencing your cry for mercy, do you have the tenacity to keep crying out for God? You see, the question for us is, do we respond like the disciples or do we respond like Jesus who stops? Listen, the cry for mercy stops Jesus in his tracks in that passage And I believe that the cry for mercy stops Jesus in his tracks here and now. Not your resume, not your talents, not your gifts, not the things that you've accomplished, not who you are or who your mom or who your dad is. Like None of that matters. What matters is the heart that is humbled, postured towards God, crying for mercy. To respond like the disciples, to respond... Like Jesus, and let's be reminded, friends, that Jesus is concerned with those who are unseen, for those who are not noticed by others. Our world, we, we're almost conditioned to pay more attention to those that have status, to give ears to those who have influence. But the way of Jesus, friends, that you and I are called to practice together. This way of Jesus, it is not about influence and it's not about those that have position. Jesus sees, stops for those that are unseen. The third question I want us to wrestle with, the third question is simply this, is what does your heart cry sound like right now? What's the cry of your heart sound like right now? What is it? Is it the sense that, and what do you need from God right now? And here's what I wanna encourage you with, is the cry in this passage that gets Jesus to stop. Yes, it's a cry for mercy, but let's not mistake that it is an audible sound. He cries out loud. Many of us are so concerned with what people are going to think or so so concerned of how we are going to appear. And I just wanna say to you, what this passage teaches me is regardless of where you are and who's around you, when Jesus is passing by, don't let that moment miss you without being heard. I want Jesus to hear me. The presence of God is in the room. I want my voice to be lifted and no one is going to tell me to be quiet in that moment. What's your heart crying for right now? Because what the Bible reminds us is there is this this call for us to, to not only desire mercy, but to recognize that mercy is stronger than powerful positions. Luke is borrowing this sort of narrative and encounter from Mark's gospel, and if you read this interaction in Mark's gospel, you see that when Jesus asks this question of Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? This is right on the heels of the interaction with the disciples who are longing for positions of power. And these two narratives, when we hold them together and we look at them and one reads into the other, we realize what Jesus is saying. What's greater than position, what's greater than being heroic is humility and a cry for mercy. That responds, it gets Jesus to respond. So friends, here's what I want to remind you of. It was never our giftings that got Jesus' attention. It was never our grind. It was never our hustle. It's always been his grace. It was his grace that stopped him. It was his mercy towards Bartimaeus that stopped him. And friend, it's his mercy that is stopping him right here and right now. What do you need and what do you want from Jesus? Because now's the moment to ask. There's There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Do you need rescue? Do you need to be healed? Do you need relationships to be recovered? What do you need from Jesus? Let that cry of your heart, let that desire, let it come out of your mouth in a cry for mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Jesus. Grace and peace, church.